But what we see is that that highly sensitive person is going to come out the other end much more deeply affected by that negative environment. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining me on another episode here on the pod. I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Let me ask you. Have you grown up or frequently had the experience of someone saying to you, you're just too sensitive, you're so sensitive, or maybe you find yourself frequently being overwhelmed and overstimulated by your environment, and maybe even you feel those emotions deeply. Today, I am sitting with Natalie Brunswick. She is a registered occupational therapist and psychotherapist, and we are talking all about the highly sensitive person. Before we go into today's episode, I want to first pause and ask you to leave a review on iTunes. Your reviews let me know what you appreciate about the podcast. I want to hear from you. And it also helps other people find us. We are growing in this community and it is so powerful to see the downloads, the DMs, the comments from you. And I really want to emphasize just how grateful I am that you are here with me, listening, tuning in, and sharing these episodes. So go ahead, click the stars, leave a note for me to see. I read all of them. I want to pause to acknowledge today's podcast partner. I am partnering with Athletic Greens, and I am so thrilled that I started taking AG1. It is so simple and surprisingly has a great taste, and I have noticed Despite being skeptical at the start, I've noticed just how improved my gut has felt, how I'm sleeping better, and how my energy has improved. To check out more and to grab your bonus with my link, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash I-N-Y-S, which stands for I'm Not Your Shrink. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to jump into our conversation today, but before we do, I'm going to ask you a question that I like asking my guests, which is tell me three things about you. Ooh, I am a mom of two. I am a psychotherapist and an occupational therapist, which I think is my secret weapon. There's not many of us out there. It's an amazing <laughs> combination to have. Yes. And one thing, you did not give me this question in advance. Let's see what I can come up with. Third thing, I live in Toronto in Canada and there's lots of snow on the ground. And, and we have more coming. We have a good storm coming in. And we have a in. storm coming tomorrow, um, which I'm thrilled for. We have family visiting from Los Angeles. My niece and nephew haven't been here in three years. So they haven't seen snow in three years. So we oh are goodness. thrilled and so excited. So for people who don't know, you talk a lot about the highly sensitive person. You do it on your Instagram account. I imagine that this is a core part in terms of the foundations and how you show up as an OT and a psychotherapist. And 
Truthfully, Natalie, I actually had never heard the term highly sensitive person until a few years ago. And I know that the term has actually been out there for a while, but my own journey, I decided, hmm, interesting. I'm going to check out some books. I'm going to take the quiz. And knowing that the quiz is not a diagnosis, but what was interesting for me is that I was really relieved to discover, like it felt like the last missing puzzle piece was being put in. And so to discover that I too am a highly sensitive person. And I think what really struck the kind of forming the puzzle for me is that it grounded so much of my experience before becoming a mother, but then also even more speaking to the struggle that I had early on in motherhood and and still do. So I want us to talk about this piece of what is a highly sensitive person? How do you understand it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to be a highly sensitive person, um, and you know, in, in the research, the term that we're looking at is sensory processing sensitivity, which is different than sensory processing disorder, yes. which we can talk about if you want to talk about later. Um, so it's a term and it's a trait that Elaine Aaron, Dr. Elaine Aaron kind of brought to the forefront with her research and her books. Um, and what it really breaks down into is this idea that there are about 20 to 30% of the population out there who have this trait, this evolutionary advantage, if you will, of being in the world and having a nervous system that is just going to be a little bit more sensitive to nuance, to detail, to all the things that are happening around us, but also all the things that are happening inside of our body. And so, you know, I can go into a little more detail about, you know, how we understand it, if you'd like. But, you know, the main takeaway is that, you know, these are the people, you know, in our villages, in our communities that, you know, if there is a fire, they're going to smell it first. Mm. If there is a predator, they're going to notice it first. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that, you know, they're, it's important that we have these people in our villages, in our communities, in our families, because they are those people that are going to see danger and threat before anyone else and really keep everyone safe. The underbelly, the dark side to being a highly sensitive person living in this world that we live in now, where the threats are not just, you know, a fire or an animal, but we kind of have these threats all around us in the form of, you know, demands at school and demands at work and social media and social everything media, that makes our up our, our yeah. right, that makes up our modern life where the threats are are a little bit more harder to put pin down and can create this constant anxiety. Right. Mm. So if you're someone who's already primed to have this nervous system that's really great at looking at threats and detecting threats. And then you you go into life and you go into a world that, you know, isn't built for you and might be really high stress and have high demands. And that's, that's going to kind of exacerbate some of that sensitivity, which is why we can see highly sensitive people having a tendency to make up a larger proportion of the population that we might see in therapy or mm. struggling with anxiety or depression. Right, because their so, environment doesn't match what they need. And that yeah. that is so important, right? And likely for many of these people, we didn't grow up in environments that 
supported what we needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what we know about highly sensitive people is that we are much more susceptible to trauma and to, you know, experiencing traumatic events Mm. as traumatic, right? So we know two Mm -hmm. people can experience the same event. One person is going to experience that as traumatic. The other Mm -hmm. person might not. And so a highly sensitive person with, with a nervous system that is more likely to detect threat and be on guard is, is more likely to be left with lingering symptoms from those, those traumatic events. And so, you know, we can see this from a baby coming into the world and having a really difficult birth coming out, you know, a really long birth, or maybe there was an emergency C-section, or maybe there was a medical complication. And so, you know, right from the beginning of life, we can see where someone's sensitivity, a baby's predisposition to already being highly sensitive, and then coming up against these stressors and these traumas on their way into the world, and then they come out and they're these really colicky babies who have a hard time settling. And yes, they might have been predisposed to being more sensitive, mm. but that experience coming into the world exacerbated and heightened mm. some of that nervous system dysregulation. Yes, that right, right. Kind of puts it on steroids, if you will. Yeah, of course. That, yeah, that makes so much sense, right? Of like, how do you start your life? And what that experience is like, and then how your nervous system is primed and started for you in this world. And it's so interesting when I speak to my clients, we we really spend a lot of time normalizing and having compassion for our nervous systems, right? When people will say things like, oh, it's so silly. Why did I get defensive there? Or why did I get angry? Or I overreacted and you know, I should just be able to do this better. And we often come back to this place of acknowledging that we all have a nervous system. All of us have nervous systems that react in some way. And having that compassion for ourselves is so important. And then I think the other piece on top of this is then when you have this trait about you, then how important bringing that compassion is, right? To acknowledging that there's nothing defective about you. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for 
over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. And I want to really highlight that, what you had said, because that really stood out for me, um, for the listeners, is that you said, this is an advantage. And I highlight this because I know for many people, we grow up with the message, you're too sensitive. You're so sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? And it just builds a lot of shame in the sense of there's something wrong and defective with me in my environment, in the world. And I think it's so beautiful that you're saying, well, actually, no, you know, 20 to 30% of people are like this and this is a trait and it can be an advantage. We need people like you in this world. Yeah. Our our communities, our species have depended on people like you to Mm. keep us alive. Right. We need you. You are a gift. Right. And so, yes, on the one hand, it can be incredibly validating for people to finally hear someone say, this is why this is hard for you. Mm. This is why these experiences have been challenging. Right. There's a reason. And it's not because you weren't trying hard enough and you mm-hmm. weren't enough. We can we can have a lens through which to understand it. And it's really, really important that we educate parents, but also, you know, healthcare providers and teachers about this, because what this means is for that 20 to 30% of the population, their environment matters. We have this idea, you know, the differential susceptibility hypothesis or theory, which, you know, really shows that If you take what we can understand to be, let's say, a highly sensitive person or, you know, an orchid to use other language, um, we have lots of different words we can Mm -hmm. use to talk about (laughs) our more sensitive, deeply feeling humans. Um, And then you take, you know, someone else who's not highly sensitive, who's, you know, a sturdier, let's say, um, of temperament trait. 
and you put one, you put them both into, let's say, you know, a not so nurturing environment, right? Mm. An environment that is less than, an environment that's not meeting their needs in all the ways that we would ideally want to have our needs met. But what we see is that that highly sensitive person is going to come out the other end much more deeply affected by that negative environment. Mm. They're going to have, their, their experience of that is going to have a lingering effects on their well-being, on their mental health. For we, I mean, it's hard to say for how long, and it's going to depend on lots of factors for different right. people. But it's going to impact them. Whereas that other person, the not highly sensitive person, they're unaffected. They'll do just as well in you know a not so nurturing environment as they will in a nurturing environment. They will be more stable throughout, and the environment is not as important. So when we're thinking about all the things that we're bringing into our children's lives and worlds for these kids, it actually does matter more. And so this phrase we always hear people say, oh, kids, they're so resilient. Yes, for some, but not for all. Right. Mm. Yeah, we need we need to help our children in that sense. Mm-hmm. We need to help them build those skills and tools and support them in environments that meet them with where they're at. I think I think that is yeah. um, such a different framework that we're approaching today versus when perhaps we were growing up as kids, right? We're recognize we're starting to recognize this a bit more and have language around it and understand it. So I think that's really important. Um, let, let's kind of tap into what. Let's take the child as an example. What would parents notice or be looking for if? They were maybe wondering if their child is an orchid. So let's talk about, so what is, how can we understand what it is to be highly sensitive? So there's a really helpful framework. There's an acronym DOES, D-O-E-S. So I'll walk you through it. So D stands for depth of processing. So this is the idea that, you know, our kids are going to be taking in way more information. So think about those kids who like come out eyes wide open, never want to sleep like both of my children. <laughs> so when they are they are always wanting to take in everything around them. They are noticing everything. Nothing mm. goes, you know, nothing's missed by them. And not only are they noticing everything, but they're thinking about it. They're analyzing it. And sometimes they're worrying about it. Right. So they notice everything and there's a subtlety that they notice. They're going to notice, you know, you cut your hair or that plate isn't where it's supposed to be. So, so they're really taking everything in from the outside world, but also from the inside world. So, you know, think about those babies who are like, might be really struggling with um, teething pain. You ever had, like, I know both of my kids get really, really upset Mm. and have a hard time sleeping Mm -hmm. when they're teething. Mm -hmm. But I have friends who are like, oh, my kid's tooth just popped just up. Popped out. Yeah. Didn't even know. Didn't even know it was coming. Right. So it's the same experience, but it's a different perception, right? Our, mm, our highly mm-hmm. sensitive kids are, are perceiving that pain yeah. from the tooth differently than another kid. And so that's. I can the remember first putting my of- children on my body very much and having lots of long moments of them being so upset through mm-hmm. throughout teething process yeah, yeah. And, and that questioning of what what's wrong what, what right of just for days and days yeah it's it's yeah. a hard process 
It is. Yeah. And so the, the outcome of that, the second, you know, letter in the acronym O is this overstimulation, or we can think mm. of that dysregulation that we're going to see in our babies, right? If we're talking about well, how do I notice this? What am I looking for? right from the beginning mm-hmm. is that we can see that. So because they're taking so much information and if we think about, you know, this idea of our window of tolerance that we often talk about in therapy, you know, our highly sensitive babies are much more likely to get bumped out of that window because there's so many stressors coming at them all the right. time. Oh, that man looks scary or that noise was loud or that smelled weird. And they are taking in so much. And so it's, it's, you know, they're much more easily getting to that place where they're getting bumped out of that window where they can tolerate things Mm. and they can stay regulated. And we're much more likely to see them getting upset, crying, or in our toddlers having meltdowns. And we're like, why? what's going on? But that's why, because Mm. they are taking in so much information. So we're seeing that overstimulation. It also means they're going to have trouble sleeping, right? So we see sleep is a big one for these kids, which makes sense. Like if your nervous system is getting so much stimuli and it's so overstimulated, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to downregulate enough yes. to fall asleep. Yes, that is. And and just for for people listening, you know, I, I sometimes feel like I was sold this myth that get your child to sleep through the night at the one year mark. Or, you know, I can remember my physician saying at four months, um, your child shouldn't be waking for middle of the night feeds anymore. I'm like, well, no, this is not going to work for our family. I'm just going to, luckily I knew in my head, I'm like, okay, that's a lot of pressure on me and him. And I'm just going to discard that advice and yeah. do what works best for us. But the, the piece that I didn't understand is that we're still waking through the night. We, we are still up and my son is over seven now. And it, it is his nervous system, not being able to settle and soothe and we can see that, that when there's a, a change, particularly when he's not settled, when there's a lot going on around him, when there's something coming up, when maybe we haven't taken the time to help um, come down a bit more, we're having a rough night up several yeah. times. And I truly thought that we would just have our children sleep at one years old and then we'd be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> the myth. The myth, myth right? Yeah. And no one talks about that. So no, yeah, which is right. why. <laughs> Okay, so I took to Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad. And I'm going to have all of your links in the show notes. So when people are listening, you just have to scroll down a little bit and you're going to see Natalie's links there. Go follow her. You have so many helpful resources on there as well. That piece though, so the overwhelm, what does Mm -hmm. E stand for? So E is empathy and emotional responsivity. So we know that highly Mm. sensitive people have more reactive mirror neurons in their brain. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling sad, I'm more likely to feel that sadness. Mm-hmm. When you're feeling stressed, I'm more likely to feel stressed. And so, you know, we see that with babies who are more likely to pick up on what's going on around them and therefore more likely to get overstimulated and dysregulated. To come back to that second letter, it all leads back there. <laughs> so that's a big piece. And we know we just talked about this on my account the other day, but you know, a lot of highly sensitive kids really struggle with watching movies, right? Yes. They get really scared. And those scenes that are scary or there's those scenes that are scared that are really sad can be really hard for our more sensitive kids because 
those mirror neurons are getting activated and they're feeling all those feelings. And how scary because they come out of nowhere, right? They're just there and you weren't prepared for them and you don't understand what's happening. And my goodness, that's a lot for a little human. And so that's a big piece. And what can be really tricky is, you know, in our families of highly sensitive people, it's usually not just one person. There's usually a highly sensitive parent and a highly sensitive child. And so we can end up in these dynamics where everyone's triggering everyone's emotions and you're getting mad and I'm getting mad. And now everyone's mirror neurons are are firing on all cylinders. And so, you know, it can take a lot of work, a lot of work when we're in a family with highly sensitive people to work on that emotional regulation as as the adult, um, especially as the highly sensitive adult, because we're all feeding off each other. Um, mm. Yes. So that's the E. The, the other piece I want to mention about the E is that because our children feel those, you know, emotions that we might call the more negative emotions, the sadness, the anger, you know, the The flip side to that, the anxiety, but the flip side is they also are going to feel the positive emotions more deeply. When they see a sunset, when they listen to a piece of music, when they see a piece of artwork, they are going to feel the joy and the pleasure and the rapture and everything that comes from that much more too. And so I, and I think it's really important to talk about this and to talk about the gifts as well, um, because those, those are there. Mm. And that's why so many of our artists and musicians and creatives are highly sensitive people themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's, all, it's the giving the children, our children, the, the words for this and to understand what it is. Um, even something like watching a movie and helping them to understand that the, you you understand the world differently. You feel a lot of things really fast and deep. And this is not a bad thing. It can be mm-hmm. a beautiful gift. And then we can learn how to regulate ourselves and to widen our, our window of tolerance in a way, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of our most important jobs as parents for our highly sensitive kids right. is, is helping them to understand 
what they're feeling. I mean, you know this, you work with adults and this Mm -hmm. is the work that you're doing with them is we need to work on not being afraid of that anxiety that you're feeling because we know what happens is we then get into a cycle Mm -hmm. and we start to fear the feeling Mm -hmm. and then we, right? And so for our highly sensitive kids who are feeling so much, we want to help them by naming it and explaining it to them so that they don't start to fear it. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about, um, you know, just a lot of these new experiences. And I had talked about this on on my Instagram community about how there's this pressure, and, and you can relate to this being in Canada, that every boy should be enrolled in hockey. And it is the top question that people ask us about our son. Is he in hockey? Is he in hockey? And we have experienced some, you know, it, it it's not resistance, it's hesitation, it's uncertainty, it's anxiety around playing a sport of what it means to go to a group sport. And, you know, we, we see our, our inner perfectionism come into him as well, which is this, you know, well, I don't know how to do all of it. And that's really uncomfortable for children, right? So We've really had to work through helping him have skills and tools to navigate those feelings that are going to show up and show up really deeply so that he can he can do what's going to feel good for him, right? We, we know the benefits of team sports. We know it's good for kids. We, we know it's about being with their peers as well and trying new skills. But it was for us really about honoring some of that resistance and then also balancing the – it's like that – it's it's the um, it's the accept and change, right? We talk about that in DBT of like how can we accept what this is, work with the emotion, and then also change the window of tolerance and learn the skills and tools to deal with this really big feeling. And the last time I took him, it's soccer, so we have opted out of hockey. We love skiing, but you know we we've opted out of hockey right now. And with soccer one night, it it was super difficult because he didn't want to go in. All of those feelings were so big. And I, I sat with him. It must have been 10 minutes. The lesson had already started. And so we just sat together and we worked through the wave and honoring that that's where he was rather than the old message that I know so many people got, which was, you're fine. Just go. Get in there. You need to get in there now. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be no screen, what, whatever, right? Like you have to get in there. And it was such a different way of of approaching really big feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how lucky he is to have you to mm. navigate that with him. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not easy in the moment as parents. It is not. But it's, I mean, you're, what you're talking about is a really important process for everyone, but especially for our highly sensitive kids, you know, to to come back to this threat detection that they're really good at our job as their parents is to, in some ways, help rein what can become a really overactive amygdala, a really overactive threat detector back mm. in. And the way that we do that is, yes, we honor their emotions, but we also want them to try to do the things that they're fr- afraid of doing. Right. And the more times we can support them, and co-regulate with them and give them the tools they need to get there. And then they do the thing that was scary and they realize everything was okay, right? They they yes. survived, nothing bad happened. That threat detector 
can kind of ease off the pedal mm. just a little bit. That that behavioral experiment, the exposure, right? So we're going to go a little bit. Oh, yeah. what did we learn? We'll go a little bit more. And what did we learn there, right? It's it's really important. And I know sometimes what we can do is that when a child has such big emotions that naturally our own fear shows up. And so we say, oh, okay, right. So we just won't go. We won't go into the thing. And then we collude with the anxiety by getting into that avoidance, which is difficult, right? Okay. What does the S, what's the S for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to, I had it. I was going to come back. <laughs> so the S is that sensory stimulation. So mm. our, our highly sensitive kids tend to be, you know, much more hypersensitive to sensory stimuli. So the noises can sound louder, the tags can feel itchier. So every child is going to be different on what that sensory piece might be for them. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be every sensory piece. For some kid, it might be the sound and for others, it might be touch Um, or it might be bright lights, you know, squinting when they're outside, right? So that that visual is too much. But that is a, that is usually um, a way that we can tell. If to come back to your question about how can we tell, yeah, um, that is often a, a big way that we can sort of get a sense that something might be going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, taking in a lot of that information. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking of how this then shows up for us as adults. So we've talked about as a child, what we might see in our own children, and then maybe as you're listening, you've said, huh, this is me. I feel this, or hmm, maybe this is my partner. And so then I'm wondering what what are some of the challenges then we see in relationships as the highly sensitive child grows into adulthood? Because I, I can imagine, well, and I know just how difficult this can be in a partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we we could talk about that for a, a lot longer I, I than know. we have <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> I know. We, we were like, just like we're scratching the surface. I mean, you're like, yes, I was coming back to the S. I'm like, I know, but we have so much to go. We're not going to cover it all, Natalie. Which, which is why if you're listening, please go and check out Natalie's resources because I know she has a lot to offer. <laughs> I think, you know, there's, there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot of ways that coming into the world as a highly sensitive person is going to impact your relationships. If we just start from the beginning, Mm. if we just start from being a highly sensitive baby coming into this world, and maybe this baby cries all the time and is really hard to settle. And that baby has a parent who might be highly sensitive themselves might have some, you know, insecure attachment style that's getting triggered by this baby. And that might not have been triggered by a baby with a different temperament. Mm. So right from the get-go, we have a baby who might not have a great fit with their caregiver and their attachment might be Mm. impacted. Not because the parent isn't a great parent, but because it's really hard. And I think that's why I started my account because I wanted to talk about 
the experience of both. But I know for me, coming with my own trauma history, coming with my own tendency towards an avoidant attachment, which I've worked very hard in my adult life to move towards secure, but my child, my goodness, did he ever trigger my own insecure attachment style and my own wanting to just get away from the screaming and the Mm. crying and the feeling of inadequacy when I could not soothe him. And so we can see right from those first few weeks and months on this planet, how this can be creating Mm. a more challenging, um, relationship dynamic that may carry you into your future. And now listen, I live in Canada where I'm lucky to have maternity leave and, you know, got to a place where I was no longer being triggered by my baby and he settled down. But think about for a minute, a baby who is having that experience and is not living in a country where their mother, their primary caregiver is home with them and gets to work Mm -hmm. through all that stuff and work towards moving towards a more secure attachment. Mm -hmm. That baby goes to daycare at eight weeks and they're not seeing their parent all day. We don't know, right? We don't know what might happen. And so that's like, that's the first thing. That's like, just like one tiny thing, right? One tiny little beginning of life that will potentially, could not necessarily, but could, right, impact your relationships down the road. That that foundational piece sets the stage for then, how do I understand myself, others in the world? Mm-hmm. And that is the attachment piece of, am I lovable? Are others safe? Can I go to them? Will they understand me? Will they... Um, will they be vulnerable with me, right? And, and so then that attachment style does then show up later on in life. And I, I'm thinking even, you know, if we were to even tap into both more of the anxious or the avoidant attachment style, in, in a way it's like if an individual is overwhelmed and feeling deeply and then their partner doesn't understand it, they're then in an environment, this mismatched environment again, right? Where their, their partner is like, what's wrong with you? Or um, just get over this. is isn't a big deal where it then comes into the negative cycles of communication that we get commonly get stuck in. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so then take that child, you know, who's growing up and mm. they are, maybe they don't have parents who are highly sensitive, right? Maybe they have no one in their family who gets it. Mm-hmm. And so you have this child who is constantly being invalidated, right? Just suck it up, right? What do you want? Why are you so upset, right? And so having this experience of being invalidated, not feeling seen, and then that child goes to school where again, they're they're not having these experiences. Right. Why are you so sensitive? Why are you crying? Oh no, look, you're crying again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's invalidating. And And these things we know accumulate, right? Mm -hmm. They accumulate and accumulate. And so this person, this highly sensitive person is just more likely to have this stuff, right? This relational baggage, these wounds that they are going to carry into Mm -hmm. their adult relationships. Mm -hmm. Never mind on a sensory level and an emotional level in the moment, what we just talked about, 
they're more likely to get triggered by someone raising their voice because mm-hmm. it's going to feel that much louder. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to get triggered by a partner coming home, feeling like they're in a bad mood. I'm going to feel that bad mood more. But not only am I going to feel that bad mood more, if I was a highly sensitive child who grew up in a home where no one was there for me when I felt my emotions, like we talked about, I'm going to be scared of that feeling. So now my partner's in a bad mood. I'm feeling their bad mood. I'm getting triggered by the feelings that I'm having in my body. And now we're in complete chaos in our relationship and we're all dysregulated. Right. And that's where the criticism comes out. That's where the defensiveness, that's where the shutting down comes out, right? Where we then don't know how to move out of that. And I think that is such an important piece here of being able, and again, I know what people do, right? We say then to our partners, you just shouldn't come in and come home in a bad mood. Right. And it, it right. Which is it's such a delicate <laughs> space. Cause it's like, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I, know, I know. Right. Wouldn't that be lovely? You, you always have to be happy. Leave your bad mood at the door. When you open the door, I've been home with the kids all day. Yeah. And so tuck that away. Right. And, and, and I think instead it, it, what we do is we want, we go external and we say, you need to change. You need to do differently rather than, than helping them understand what it's like for us and our experience of that and what then we can do for ourselves when the environment becomes that, then what, what we can do, right? So I'm even thinking about, you know, if, if you are listening and your partner does come home in a bad mood, you know, thinking, if this is a frequent experience, you then finding some strategy to help you with that transition. You are home in your, you know, your safe space. There's nobody else's mood coming at you. You're not absorbing that. And then, you know, your partner's coming home at 5 PM. What can you then do between 445 to five to help your nervous system feel more calm and regulated to then tackle that next phase, right? Yeah. Well, that's the ultimate challenge, right? Mm. For the parent, for the stay-at-home parent, usually the stay-at-home mom who's been home all day. Right. Getting everything thrown at them. Yeah. Getting the the nervous system's been hit, 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 hit. Mm -hmm. And then their partner comes home and they just cannot. It's just like one more thing that they now have to hold. And it's just, it pushes them over, right? Mm -hmm. And not only that, but I think there's also a real feeling of, I want to be held by you. Like I've been holding people all day. I need, I don't want to have to hold you too. (laughs) I think that can often come up as well. But yes, what can we do, right? Is there music I can put on that I know at 4.30, I'm going to put on this playlist or I'm going to put my essential oils in, or I'm Mm -hmm. going to put an ice pack on my back or whatever it might be, hmm. or I'm going to get outside, right? Yeah. I'm going to get outside and we're going to do something so that like I can breathe in the air and yeah. I can move my body. And again, this is going to look different for, for everyone. But what I'm sure you know and, and do with your own clients is that when, whenever we're talking about the nervous system, we we need to be tending to it throughout the day. And if we can take moments and breaks and, you know, set an alert on our phone to remind us every hour to Mm -hmm. breathe or whatever it might be, then we're keeping ourselves in that window of tolerance so that we're less likely to be right at the edge of it at five o'clock, which is often the hardest time of the day. (laughs) 
For, for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think of the times when I solo parented and I would get this window where the kids had that that flow where no one was fighting, nobody was screaming, no one was hungry or needing a snack. And I would have that flow. And then I would allow myself to do something and then it would turn into something else. And then I'm deep cleaning the kitchen and then I'm scrubbing the walls with the magic eraser thinking my husband doesn't do anything. (laughs) That's not true. But it's the, it's the dysregulation. It's the overwhelm. It's in that moment when I could have paused and done something to nurture me, I then tackled all of the things that then don't set me up for the rest of the day. And then the kids then do get hungry. Then they're running back saying, mommy, he took my whatever it is, right? And then I'm overwhelmed and triggered. And then it just spirals and it's so hard to to catch that up. And so it is, I think it's really important, Allie, that you bring that up, that we can find these moments where we can make different choices, choices that nurture us and set us up for the long term of the day rather than those in the moment feeding the urge to either complete the tasks and do all the things. And it's like this, um, I, I think it's this framework shift of acknowledging that when you choose to sit, lay on the floor and put your feet up against the wall and you focus on your breathing, you're not being lazy or doing nothing or um, being unproductive. You are actually doing something incredibly powerful for you and your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of this self-care stuff can feel really hard to do when you're home all day mm-hmm. with a child, with a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think something, a tool that I really like that doesn't put it all on you is this idea of using co-regulation to your advantage. So, you know, is there someone, is there a coffee shop, is there a human that is not your child <laughs> that you can go to, that you can go take a walk to go have a conversation with, mm. that you can call on the phone? Is there a voice of someone's podcast that you find incredibly soothing that you can listen to and co-regulate to that? Mm. And just try, you know, we are meant to parent in a village where we are able to co-regulate with other adults right. that will help buffer everything that's coming at us with our children. Mm. And breathing through it is not going to usually work <laughs> for most of us. We it does do not. really, I do find that if we can tap into that co-regulation piece, if we can find another human, whether live or recorded (laughs) to connect with, it can actually really, really help Mm -hmm. us to stay regulated Mm -hmm. in those moments. Um, So if that's helpful for anyone, you can, you can take it. I I think that's so helpful and important to remember. It's easy to get stuck in the, zone of, and especially if you're dysregulated, it's easy to just stay stuck in that and it doesn't feel good. And it is that hard choice for many to say, okay, get the kids bundled up. Let's go for a walk to the coffee shop. Let's meet up with my friend. She's got her kids. We'll We'll do the things, right? Or to especially if you have a kid who's like kicking and screaming in the Mm -hmm. stroller the whole time, or you know, it's 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 never it can sometimes feel like it's never easy 
Right. And I think that's important to acknowledge too, that Mm -hmm. sometimes this is a season of things just being hard. And it's not because you're having irrational thoughts and you're like, (laughs) right. It's not because you're creating this, that there, there are going to be seasons for some people with some of these kiddos who might just struggle that much more with Mm -hmm. that dysregulation Mm -hmm. where it is going to be really hard. And then it's just really important that you're making choices that have your mental health in mind. Mm. Every yes should be, yes, we're going to do this because this is going to feel good for me. Not yes, we're going to do this because I should take my child to this music class or I should meet my friend for coffee. But yes, I know if I do this, it's going to be a pleasurable, enjoyable experience and it's going to help me feel good and solid and grounded. Mm -hmm. Natalie, we could keep going, but I'm going to pause here. Thank you so much for sharing here and sitting with me today. Where can people find you and what do you have on the go? Yeah, so come find me on Instagram, Highly Sensitive Family, or my website, HighlySensitiveFamily.com. I have a few workshops and a course coming in January, uh, which I'm really excited about. And you can find all of that. Instagram is the best place and feel free to just reach out, send me a message. Would love to hear from you. Thank you, Natalie. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I don't know about for you, but after listening to a podcast, sometimes I am so excited with all of the things that I can start to do. And yet the reality is I'm also kind of overwhelmed. So what I want you to do is choose one thing that Natalie and I talked about today and start practicing just that one thing over the next week. I'm so glad you clicked play and joined me for another episode. I'm wishing you a good week. Until next time, take good care of you. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.